And you motherfuckers ready? Yeah. All right. This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Oh, hey. my. <laughs> oh, my. John, would you give us that intro look? Explanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I look some stuff up on Wikipedia, watch some YouTube about it, and I'm gonna explain it to my friend David Gerondale. David, hello, governor. <laughs> Shiny shoes. <laughs> Shiny shoes now. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm doing pretty good. We're recording this the same day as um, unusual measurements. As unusual measurements, so I still sound like a sexy god, but mm. Mm. I'm so hot right now. <laughs> let's uh you let's wanna... learn about something what is it rogue waves oh hell yeah okay. <laughs> all right let's jump right in rogue waves are giant waves that suddenly appear in the ocean and really fuck shit up according to sailors according to sailors they're also known as freak waves monster waves episodic waves killer waves extreme waves and ab- abnormal waves <laughs> They got a, they go by many names, kind of like me, Stone Cold Steve, Dexter Sorensen, Kiefer, always <laughs> and forever. All right, but Kiefer. more more scientifically, rogue waves are waves that are more than twice the significant wave height, and that means that rogue waves are twice as tall as the highest one third of waves in a wave record. Uh, and what what is a wave record? Um, just a the record of waves in a given in a given area, and and time of measurement. Okay, so a rogue wave is twice as tall as, as the as highest one, one third. Is the highest one, one third, third of waves of waves? Okay. Um, so they're not necessarily extremely large; they're just seriously unusually large for a given sea state. I see. So it's it's. Rather that they are extraordinarily large compared to the other waves around them at that time. Yeah, but given a sea state with large waves, they could be extremely, extremely large. I see. Um, but like you were saying earlier, historically people didn't think that they existed or that they were even possible. Yeah, I mean, I think they were largely discredited and disbelieved until... Mm quite recently like within our lifetime they were still thought of as a myth exactly we'll get it we'll get into it but there were anecdotal accounts of rogue waves to be sure tons of them um which were usually written off as drunken sailors yeah mariners and seamen throughout history have reported surviving huge waves that came out of nowhere and they were so big that they were an almost vertical mountain of water jeez can you imagine seeing that coming towards you fucking a um, like but, all, you just like all right, face the boat towards that. Like, what yeah. else do you do? Well, you're fucked either way. If you put the boat right towards it, it's just gonna like crash right into the bow. If you side on, it's just gonna flip your boat over. I rather it crash like, the bow. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but since they're so rare and they're so big, 
um, people who encountered them probably rarely lived to talk about them. Oh, sure. And they were put in the same vein as mythological creatures like the Kraken, Sirens, and Mermaids. Right. Um, Not only that, using Gaussian wave models, scientists believed until the mid-1990s that waves as tall as 65 feet would only happen once every 10,000 years. Uh, Okay. Um, So I got a quote from Wikipedia. In 1826, French scientist and naval officer, Captain Jules Dumont de Rivoux, reported waves as high as 108 feet in the Indian Ocean with three colleagues as witnesses, but he was publicly ridiculed by fellow scientist Francois Argot because in that era it was widely held that no wave could exceed 30 feet. Oh my goodness, that's incredibly <laughs> conservative. Yeah. Um, what the hell? You get the idea that these scientists were coming up with these ideas based on math and hadn't ever observed an ocean. Yeah. Um, and like we were saying earlier, the author, Susan Casey, wrote that much of the disbelief came because there were very few people who had seen a rogue wave. And until the adv- advent of steel double-hulled ships in the 20th century, quote, people who encountered 100-foot rogue waves generally weren't coming back to tell people about it. Sure, yeah, like your your ship, what, what I mean, how is it going to stand up to that? Yep. Um, so we talked about the Gaussian wave model earlier. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about it. Um, the Gaussian wave model, or the Gaussian function, or the standard linear model, was used by oceanographers, meteorologists, engineers, and ship designers to predict wave height since the 19th century. Okay. The assumption was that wave heights in any given sea state are tightly grouped around an average value, also known as the significant wave height. Okay, so there's some basically flawed assumptions to begin with. Mm -hmm. I love it when, like, scientific tradition, uh, like, something becomes scientific tradition to the point where people are, like, unwilling to assess its basic assumptions and unwilling to examine whether those might be false. And were for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's... At that point, you're no longer a scientist in my book. Yeah. Um, in a stormy sea with a significant wave height of 39 feet, the model suggests that there will hardly ever be a wave higher than 49 feet. Okay. And the Gaussian wave height assumption was well accepted and was the sole basis for virtually every text on the topic of wave heights for the past 100 years. Jeez, oh, Pete. So everything was based on this bullshit assumption. Yep. That wave heights were all closely grouped together. Yep. But that all changed in 1995 with the Drobner wave. We'll, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But real quick, let's talk about the MS Munchen. Or Munchen. Okay. Um, the MS Munchausen's <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> the MS Munchen. So it was a few hours after midnight on December 12th, 1978. The cargo ship MS Munchen sent out a faint distress signal, which was picked up by the freighter Marion. And the MS Munchen had left Bremerhaven, Germany, and it was crossing the North Atlantic en route to Savannah, Georgia. I see. Um, and a like real fierce storm had been raging since November, but nobody was really that worried about it because the MS Munchen was only six years old and one is the one is one of the most modern carriers around. Oh, sure. So you're like, yeah, it yeah. can, it can get through anything. It's been designed to fucking cope with it. It was designed to cope with waves 35 to 50 feet high and was widely considered to be unsinkable. 
Yeah, I mean, if you believe that waves don't get that high, generally, it was, yeah, it was in '78. Um, exactly. If you don't believe waves, you are think get it's over-engineered, high, essentially. Yeah, and that it doesn't need to be. You don't need to worry about it. It's invulnerable. Yep. But nonetheless, within a few hours after the SOS signal, aircraft arrived and they found nothing. They had no signs of the ship or any of the 28 crew members. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And that was the start of the largest search and rescue operation ever conducted in the North Atlantic. Wow. Mm-hmm. There were over 13 planes from the UK, United States, Portugal, and Germany, and they scanned the area for over a week. And not only that, there, there were over 100 cargo ships on that busy shipping lane that stopped and were helping to do the search. Jeez, OP. Mm-hmm. And after that full week before they called, called off the search, they had only found a few life jackets, a single cargo container, and four empty life rafts. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Says a lot about how, uh, how well those life rafts float yep. and survive, though. <laughs> they were so, fine. Yeah, <laughs> the life rafts. A lot of um, good it did the crew. Yeah, none of, them, none of them survived. Two months later, they finally found a lifeboat that revealed just a few clues about the cause of the ship's disappearance. Like the huge steel pins that held the lifeboat to the ship, which was 65 feet above the waterline, they were bent completely backwards with what must have been enough force to rip it off the ship. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you think about, like, you know, people say, like, from above 100 feet or something like that, hitting water is like hitting cement. Yeah. And imagine a wall of cement 80 feet tall hitting your ship. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. And uh, I watched this uh, Facts in Motion YouTube video on Rogue Waves, and quoting them, they said... A wave with enough power to do that would have needed to be significantly higher than what scientists at the time thought was possible. But because of that, and this isn't a quote anymore, but because of that, an investigation into the disappearance of the MS Munchen concluded that an unusually large wash likely broke the windows, killed the electronics, making it lose maneuverability, and ultimately sinking the ship. Wow. Scientists just didn't believe that rogue waves like that were possible. So they, okay, so they explained it through a malfunction, essentially. Mm. Um, and the loss of buttloads of ships before and after the MS Munchen may have been falsely blamed on human error, design faults, or technical defects. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they could have actually been lost to rogue waves. Oh, yeah. 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 It's now believed that 25 of the roughly 100 to 150 supercarriers that were lost between 1960 and 2000 were likely lost because of rogue waves. Jeez, I didn't realize that many had been lost. Yeah. I, I didn't s- realize shipping at sea was that dangerous. Fucking A. Well, I mean, there's like hundreds. Like, yeah, but still a thousand in, in um, that short a period of time. 100 to 150. Between the sixties and two thousands, so like forty year period. But you said out of out of a thousand. No, no, no. It is believed that twenty five of the roughly oh sorry twenty five. Uh, sorry, I thought it was two hundred fifty out of a thousand, not twenty five out of two fifty. No, yeah, twenty five of the roughly hundred to one hundred fifty supercarriers that were lost. Oh, okay, between nineteen sixty. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, maybe who knows? Yeah. 
All right, but anyway, let's talk about that Dropner wave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Go. (laughs) Wikipedia says, The Dropner platform is one structure in a gas pipeline support complex operated by Stratoil, about 100 miles from the southern tip of Norway. And the Dropner platform is a key hub for monitoring pressure, volume, and quality of gas flows in Norway's offshore gas pipelines. And that platform was the first of first oil rig of its kind, and it was installed in 1994. Okay. And in order to ensure the safety of the people who work on it, it was equipped with an extensive array of sensors and scanners that track a bunch of shit, including the frequency and height of waves where it stands. I see. Mm-hmm. So it was state-of-the-art. State-of-the-art. It was the first, first of its kind, like oil rig platform 100 miles out to sea. Um... And on January 1st, 1995, the platform sensors recorded a wave that was thought to be impossible. It measured a wave that from trow to crest was more than 85 feet high. Holy shit. Yeah. It was more than than twice the height of any other wave measured in the hours before or after the fucking giant wave, which would later be called the Drobner wave. So basically it was unprecedented and... uh... Like the, the, there was nothing around it that would have indicated that it was no, coming. Came out of fucking nowhere. Yep. It, uh, the rig wasn't majorly damaged because it stands so high above the waterline, but minor damage on the underside of the platform confirmed the height of the wave as the sensors read them. Jeez. Yeah. And so that was the first time the bona fide scientists had to admit that rogue waves are a thing. Okay. 1995. 1995. Up until then, it was all just like sailor's yarn. Gotcha. Um, so, but now that everyone can agree that rogue waves are real, what are they like and how do they happen? <laughs> I'm not asking you. That's a rhetorical question. Um, <laughs> I, I think I know how they happen. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, what is that called? Frequency convergence or what, what is that? Uh I don't have the words for it, but it's, uh, we'll you know, get, it's one we'll of... Get, we'll get to it. Yeah. Rogue waves are unlike un- even normally large waves, because typically waves rise and fall relatively gently, which allows the ships to climb over them kind sure. of easily. But rogue waves, on the other hand, have extreme steepness and have really short wavelength for their height. Okay, yeah. Um, so they look like huge walls of water that smash everything in their way with shit tons of force. Because they're just like really tall, steep fucking walls of water. Right, they're basically the same width as the depth as the waves around them, but at least twice as high. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a year after the Dropner wave, the ocean liner Queen E2 was en route to New York, and it was hit by a wave 88 feet tall. Jesus. Which is comparable to a nine-story building. And the captain said it looked like the Queen E2 was headed for the White Cliffs of Dover. Oh, my goodness. Can you... That'd be fucking scary. Yeah. That'd be... That'd holy beyond shit. scary. Oh, my God. Like, you would know you were going to die. I would like, definitely I believe, believe that, that was going to happen. Die. I've been in a couple of car accidents where, like, right before the impact, when I saw it was going to happen but didn't have enough time to react beyond mm. what I had already done, Yeah. Um, I was just like, all right, well, this is where you die. 
Like I remember having like really? this split second thought, like this is where you die. I just when I was in a four wheeler crash, um, I just passed out in midair. Really? From being afraid, I think. I just like fucking blacked out in midair. Or you don't remember it, likely from whatever occurred afterward. I have no idea. Um I had a helmet on. But I woke up, my chin was all fucked up. And yeah, see, I think I was you probably have memory out. loss. I was back blacked out for like thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah, you definitely have memory loss then. Interesting, because I was in a bad bicycling accident where, like, I hit the ground hard enough that it split my helmet in half, and half my helmet shot across the other side of the country road. And uh, yeah, like I don't remember any of the events leading up directly to it, and I barely remember clips from after it. And those clips came months and months later. No, I remember right when I woke up. I woke up. Every head injury is going to be different, though. No, no, no. But I don't even think I don't even think consciousness midair. See, I do think think that because because my my helmet wasn't really that fucked up. Like I think I was just blacked out. Yeah, I think you blacked out as a result of trauma, not fear. Really, but it's. I mean, you were there. I wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I was blacked out for like thirty minutes. Dang. And it seemed like an instant. It was like oh, I it was I like see. I blinked my eyes and I was like on the ground. And then when I got home, finally I like called where I left. And the girl whose house I left was I was like, Hey, how long ago did I leave? And she's like, Thirty five minutes ago. And I was like, Holy shit. Yeah, see, <laughs> I was just to like me, that definitely seems like trauma. Field. Like basically what happened is your brain got hit and so it went into like Almost like this is a bad analogy, maybe but like safe mode. Huh. And so as soon as you went back into normal function, then you were like, oh, whoa. And it seemed like only an instant had passed because your brain literally didn't remember a single instant between them because it is. Oh, well, obviously forming. I wasn't forming memories. Yeah, it is stopped memory forming because that's a higher level function. When your brain goes into like safe mode, like it's been concussed, yeah. it just stops doing that. It's not useful. Yeah, it's it's going into self-repair. Yeah, what I was doing is I was going down this, uh, like, uh, asphalt road, and I was uh, on this four-wheeler turning into a dirt road behind this field, and then I went onto the dirt road, and I started, like, fishtailing, kind of, like, getting my back wheels to fishtail onto the dirt road, but my back wheels went onto the asphalt road, caught, and I started flying through the air towards this, like, fence. And that's like the last thing I remember until I woke up. It was like a little 90 cc four wheeler and I like pushed it from its side onto its wheels and my right hand was all fucked up. So I had to start the four wheeler with my left hand and then drive it home with my left hand. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think you got yeah. concussed. Yeah. My be right. I was probably concussed. <laughs> all right. So anyway, <laughs> rogue waves. um the steepness of rogue waves also makes them different and distinct from tsunamis i see so wikipedia says tsunamis are caused by massive displacements of water often resulting from sudden movement on the ocean floor after which they propagate at high speeds over a wide area right right so like in deep areas they're almost unnoticeable and only become dangerous as they approach the shoreline when they start to break Mm -hmm. and the ocean floor becomes shallower yep so therefore tsunamis don't present 
like a threat to shipping at sea. Oh, not at all. No. Yeah, not at all. Like you said, you don't even notice them. No. They're they're indistinguishable from other waves out at sea. Like the only ships lost in the 2004 Asian tsunami were in port. Yep. And like another crazy thing about rogue waves is that they always appear from nowhere and quickly disappear without a trace. Okay. So they like really are fucking rogues. So they don't even necessarily make it to shore or continue on. No. They, they dissipate. Like, yeah, they just... They lose their energy dis- and yeah. cease to exist. Wikipedia says, Acknowledgement of the existence of rogue waves, despite the fact that they cannot p- plausibly be explained by a reference to a simple statistical model, is a very modern scientific paradigm. It is now well accepted that rogue waves are common. Professor... I'm going to fuck this up. Akhmediev of the Australian National University, one of the world's leading researchers in this field, has stated that there are about 10 rogue waves in the world's ocean at any moment. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of area, but still, at any one moment. There are probably 10 rogue waves. Jeez. Like, Um, so right now, while we're recording this, there are... approximately or statistically likely like 10 single, rogue waves right this, now yeah like yep 10 rogue waves more than people dying is that right well i mean i don't know <laughs> <laughs> probably not probably there's not. a lot of people i think they a lot of them die every second all right so what causes rogue waves I just keep asking you rhetorical questions. Convergent? No, I'm joking. Constructive interference. So yeah, like I think I, that's that's what I've mostly, been educated to believe. That's I mean, obviously, it has to be constructive interference. That's the most likely. Yeah, I mean, um, when you're talking about waves, that just makes but sense. Wikipedia does say it is premature to state clearly what the most common causes are, or whether they vary from place to place, and they're are many theories why rogue waves happen, but the basic underlying pr- principle, like we were talking about, is that waves can travel at different speeds so they can, quote-unquote, pile up in certain circumstances, which is constructive interference. Right. And the areas that have the highest predicted risk of rogue waves seem to be the areas where strong currents run in the opposite direction of the waves. Okay. Like, there's this area near Cape Algas off the southern tip of Africa. I'm sure you got that right. <laughs> you sounded very confident. Cape Algulas. Algulas. A G U L H A S. The warm Algulas current runs to the southwest while the dominant winds are westerlies. And so, in more than a dozen instances around there, waves have been recorded between four and ten times higher than the significant wave height. I see. Wow, ten times? Yeah, the highest wave ever recorded was there, and it was 160 feet high. Jesus. That's almost as high as a 16-story building. It's fucking nuts. Um, not Yeah, like, that's That's the the highest one I ever heard about. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, and because of those findings, the Algahas current is typically avoided during extreme weather conditions. Okay, smart. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, basically, what we're talking about with constructive interference and waves piling up is, like, if you have, if you have multiple wave formations, 
meeting in an area and more than one wave happens to meet in a way that the crests are at the same exact position and velocity, they basically just double each other. Yeah, exactly. They it's add like each other's. They immediately add each other's energy. The same thing and, happens and mass. with light. Yep. Same things happen with any wave formation. A sound. Any wave, like um, gravity waves. A lot of the gravity waves that we've been able to measure with our relatively small gravity telescopes mm-hmm. have been because of constructive interference. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and just to like put it into perspective, because this is kind of the last thing I have to talk about. This was also one of those episodes I've just wanted to do for a long time, but it's just kind of like doesn't have. Yeah, too... producer thought we'd already done it. <laughs> I know, because I been actually talking about it for so I actually long. told Jonathan like maybe a year and a half ago that I was going to do Rogue Waves, and then <laughs> I told him this week that I was going to do it, and he's like, "Wait, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought we did that like a year, <laughs> year and a half ago." <laughs> But um, so to put it into perspective, a wave 115 feet high could at least exert pressure between 75 and 100 tons per square meter. What? Yeah. And some people think it could have 100 a 100 tons per square meter? Per square meter. Jeez, oh, Pete, that really is like a wall of cement hitting you. Yeah. That, that uh, one video on YouTube I watched about had like the weirdest analogy I've ever heard. It was like, so it could be like you pushing your finger through a chip. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah. All right. I guess I can imagine so. that, I think. <laughs> yeah, all right. I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> pushing your finger through a chip. <laughs> um, but yeah, some people think it could have a, a force of 500 tons per square meter. I think that's pretty high. Um, but basically, if you run into a rogue wave, you're pretty much fucked. It sounds like it. Like, even if you got those double steeled holds. Yeah, there's nothing. It's, you know, it's just going to poke a finger through your chip. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're the chip, bro. You're the chip. You and your big ass cargo ship are the chip. You're cargo chip. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, that's all I got about Rogueways. You got anything else? No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I Count me up for never being a sailor. Yeah, no shit. Like, I, I always thought about, like, I'm going to just, like, you know, it'd be fun to just, like, sail around, live boring. in a houseboat. That, like, not a houseboat necessarily, but, like, live in a boat, rather. Yeah. live Make your house be in a boat. But may, I, may, I don't know. I don't want to deal with the idea that, like, every day I could just possibly, like, just say be it. in one of those areas where there's ten rogue waves every second. Yeah. I'm going to say her name wrong, but may Greta Thromberg never, ever encounter a rogue wave. Oh no, she's like the face of climate change and yeah, and okay boomers. No, that wasn't her. No, I know it's not, but at this point, I feel like okay. So like, have you not seen the memes of like like Uh, where there's like a bunch of like plastic like utensils or something like that, and they'll just like post a picture of her and she's just like looking scornfully. Kind of yeah. I just feel serious for a kid. Yeah, and okay boomer came out uh, like in 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 a contemporary. Like time frame, really so I just feel like I associate her kind of with that because she's that. she's all about like we have stop to do fucking something. yeah yeah and you know what stop all of this fucking like age shaming millennials are are you know entitled bullshit yeah. 
Like you know what you're you fucking doing to, to them. You guys need to fucking take responsibility for the shit mess you've left us. Yeah, and that's kind of like the OK Boomer attitude. Yeah, I can dig that. All right, anyhow, let's end it. Yeah, yeah. This is probably the last episode we're gonna get in a while with David's sexy voice. Oh yeah, I don't plan to be sick soon. Yeah, and so you're welcome, listener, that I got David sick. Yeah, and then you had to listen to this gravelly shit. (laughs) (laughs) The explanations were recorded right here at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo by Monet Moran. (laughs) Social media management by Alicia Fentress. And my trusty co-host is David Girondel. I want to thank Naptime Nancy Drew and Slapdash Pod for their recent reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate those reviews. Naptime Nancy Drew and the Slapdash Pod are also podcasts that I highly recommend. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. If you too want to support the show, leave a review on iTunes, tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode, or go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations. All of these things help a lot because we're really trying to get more exposure for the show. And we really, really, really appreciate your support. Likely, as always, we got a lot of things wrong, probably. So if you want to tell us about it or just want to bullshit, hit us up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com, tweet us at Dexplanations, or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do no episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you are powerful and unexpected. Science didn't even think anybody could have as much force as you. Bye now.